want to share with everybody that the title of the message today is The End Times, Part 3, subtitle, Can These Bones Live? Can These Bones Live? So please open your Bibles to Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 37. In the Old Testament, major prophet Ezekiel chapter 37. Feel free to pull the Bible up on your smartphone or mobile device. And in a little while, we are going to go through the first 14 verses of Ezekiel 37. So can these bones live? I'm going to pray out loud. I want to ask you to please pray in your heart, and we're going to see what God does during this message in the the remainder of our time together. So Father, we uh, can't get going here until we acknowledge you. We're here because of you. So grateful, God, for the emphasis today in worship uh, on your mercy and on your grace. Lord, the truth of the matter is, none of us deserve your favor. None of us deserve your forgiveness. It's all a free gift paid for on the cross by Jesus. And Lord, we stand today with humble hearts, grateful that we can be, by faith, recipients of this amazing grace, Lord. And God, help us to not allow the enemy, Lord, to whisper lies in our ears, but help us to take every thought captive and make it obedient to Jesus Christ. We know that your will is that we would move forward, forward as lifelong followers of Jesus Christ. And so help us to stand in confidence, taking your word uh, for what it says, believing your promises for our lives. And Father, I'm just grateful for the opportunity now to share your word today. I ask that you would give us ears to hear and hearts to receive everything you want us to know today and then to apply to our lives, and we pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said. All right, so as I've said before, as we witness the alarming events in our world today, many people are wondering if the end may be near. And the good news that I have for you today is that God's word, God's word is filled with prophetic passages that will illuminate for us, if we'll just read them, it'll illuminate for us um, how God is gonna wrap up human history. It's called eschatology. It simply means the study of the end times. And when we understand it, when we understand eschatology, something wonderful starts to happen inside of us. What happens is our minds become stimulated and our faith becomes strengthened. And not only that, when we understand from God's word what he has for us in the future as his people, it causes our hearts to cry out. Remember this? Maranatha. Maranatha, which is a, a, an Aramaic term that means, O Lord, come. And so we're, we're, uh, we are right in the middle of a five-week series on the end times. I hope you're enjoying it so far. And by way of review, this is what it has looked like. In week one, we covered Israel, my glory. And we talked about Israel's 
promise. Remember the Abrahamic covenant. If you missed that, man, you missed the foundation of the series. You got to go back and listen so everything makes sense. And by the way, all the messages chronologically build on each other. So um, Israel's promise, Israel's purpose, and then Israel's plummet because 2,000 years ago they rejected their Messiah, Jesus Christ. And then in week two, if you saw me smiling a lot last week, it's because this is one of my favorite subjects, the church, my bride. We talked about the church's identity, the church's purpose, and the church's rapture. Today, week three, we're going to cover Can These Bones Live? And we're going to talk about Israel's regathering, Israel's statehood, and then I don't have time to finish it. I'll just touch on it, and then we will push it to the next weekend. But we are going to talk about Israel's trouble, which is the tribulation. In week four, next week, promise keeper. After we wrap up the tribulation, we're going to talk about the second coming, the millennial reign of Christ, and the eternal state. And then finally, in week five, signs of the times. Lots of erroneous speculations out there. We're going to reject the speculations. We're going to receive the, what the scripture has to say about the signs of the end times. And then we'll wrap it all up with saints get ready. And so today, again, our topic is, can these bones live? And the first thing we're going to talk about today is Israel's regathering. There's a lot of information today. I want to encourage you, man, stick with it. Listen, don't let your mind wander. Please don't think about Cracker Barrel. Everybody come right here to me. All right. So in the first century AD, uh, at the end of the Great Jewish Revolt, you remember the Great Jewish Revolt lasted from AD 66 to AD 70. At the end of the Great Jewish Revolt, Rome comes, they attack Jerusalem, they uh, defeat the Jews, and they burn down the temple. They destroy the temple. After that, and then after the Romans kicked the Jews out of their land, when did that happen? It happened in a big, big, big way uh, after the failed Jewish, what's called Bar Kokhba revolt. That lasted from AD 132 to AD 135. And so after the Jews tried to rebel against Rome again, what happened? Rome crushed the Jews. And after that happened, the Romans renamed Jerusalem Elia Capitolina. And then they renamed Judea Syria Palestina. Now, ladies and gentlemen, the name Palestina was purposely picked by the Romans in order to remind the humiliated, defeated Jews of their ancient foes. Anybody remember who the ancient foes of the Jews are in the Old Testament? The what? Philistines. And so Rome just wants to spite the Jews. And so after they uh, burn down the temple in AD 70, after they kick them out of their land in AD 135, they rename Jerusalem, they rename Judea, the homeland of the Jews. They rename it Syria, Palestina. Why? Because they want to rub salt in the wounds and they want to spite the Jews and they want them to remember we have now named your homeland with the name of your ancient foes, the Philistines. And so after that happened, what occurred was that the name of the Jews' ancient homeland 
began to be called by many in the world Palestine, right? So Syria, Palestina, Palestine, and so that's what much of the world calls that area of the world in the Middle East. But going back, after the Romans forced the Jews out of their land beginning around the beginning of the second century AD, what happened was that the Jews were scattered all over the known world in a great dispersion. It's called the diaspora. And most Jews, um, um, the vast majority of Jews remained in that global diaspora, get this, for about 1,800 years. So, so what are you doing, Pastor Mike? I'm sharing the history, right? And then we're going to, because we're going to learn accurate history today, we're going to better understand what all the hubbub and controversy is today in our modern age regarding Israel. Okay, and so around the second century AD, beginning of the second century AD, Rome kicks the Jews out of their land. They go into a global diaspora, a global um, dispersion all over the world for about 1,800 years. During that time, many thought, and I'm embarrassed to say that includes many Christians thought during that 1,800 years that God was forever finished with the nation of Israel. But I want to ask you the same question I asked you last weekend. Is God a promise keeper or is he a promise breaker? You tell me. God is a promise keeper. And so because of that, he will keep his promises to Israel. I want to say it again to everybody that here at Calvary Chapel, Port St. Lucie, we reject the idea that the church has replaced Israel. Ladies and gentlemen, when we interpret the scriptures, if we would just be consistent, Genesis through Revelation, and we would use what's known as the historical, grammatical, otherwise known as literal method of interpretation, if we would just do that in our devotions, what we would see is that it's very clear. Israel and the church are two distinct entities. And so despite what some people have taught, God is not finished with the nation of Israel. And because of that, miraculously, the, <clears throat> the Israelites have maintained their identity, listen to this, for 4,000 years. Okay, that in and of itself is a miracle. I ask you this morning, where are the Girgashites? Where are the Amorites? Where are the Perizzites? Where are the Canaanites? Where are the Hivites? Where are the, you know I have to say it, termites? Where are they all? Just kidding. But where are they all? Where's all these ites? Ladies and gentlemen, they're gone. Where are the Israelites? Well, here's what I want to tell everybody. There's over 7 million of them right now in the modern state of Israel. And then there's another 7 million plus of them all around the world for a total of 15 plus million Jews in our world today. 7 million plus in the land of Is- in the uh, state of Israel, 7 million or so around the world. Guess how many of those 7 million live in America? Over 6 million. You know why? 
because they feel like America is a safe place. They're our friends. Or at least we used to be their friends. More on that later. And so regarding what's going to happen at the end of days, the Lord promised this to the Israelites. He said, I will. Can you guys just say, I will, please? When God says, I will, it means he will. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your unclean, uh, uncleanliness or all uncleannesses and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And then God promises that he would make a new covenant with the nation of Israel. And so before I read this, this is just flowing in the script, right? Flowing in the passage. I just want to say, praise the Lord, that we can get in on this. Okay, what does that mean? That means that after, right before Jesus died for our sins, was buried and rose from the dead. Remember, he celebrated the Passover in the upper room. We call it the Last Supper. He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Take, drink. It's given for you. This bread is my body broken for you do this in remembrance of me you guys remember this right and so guess what everybody that 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 we as born again christians we can enjoy the benefits of the new covenant even before the whole nation of israel becomes recipients of the new covenant at the end of days does that make sense to you guys so that's really good news but this is talking about national Israel's conversion. He says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. And then finally, God wraps it up. Um, by reiterating the promise of the land, he said, you shall dwell in the land. By the way there, land, it means land, just, just so you know. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers. Who are their fathers? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. We're going back now to week one and the Abrahamic covenant. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. Now, what is the historical context of Ezekiel 36? The historical context is the Babylonian captivity, 6th century BC. Okay, so I get that. I understand that it's true that the Jews uh, were regathered to their land after the Babylonian exile in the 6th century BC. But the new covenant and it being fulfilled in the nation of Israel, that does not occur which is talked about in Ezekiel 36, that does not occur until their ultimate regathering at the end of days. Now, what the Lord promised in Ezekiel 36 is reiterated in Ezekiel 37. And so in Ezekiel chapter 37, verses one through 14, God gives his, pro his prophet a stunning vision. I mean, this is like spectacular. And Ezekiel gets to see a valley of dry bones. And so right now, if you're looking at Ezekiel 37, verse 1, can you say amen? amen? Okay, so here we go, everybody. The 
hand, Ezekiel says, the hand of the Lord was upon me. And he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And he led me uh, around among them. And behold, there were many on the surface of the valley. And behold, they were very dry. And so Ezekiel sees this valley of bones. Dry human bones. And then it says in verse 3, God said to him, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. And then he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. And so the, since the Lord had a purpose for these bones, he told Ezekiel to prophesy over them. Now I have a question for you, you can answer out loud. How many of you guys believe that the word of the Lord is powerful? Yeah, I hope everybody says amen. Please, on the count of three, one, two, three. We believe the word of God is powerful, right? God's word has power to give life. And so now we see in verse seven, so I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a sound. And behold, a rattling or rattling, and the bones came together bone to its bone and I looked and behold there were sinews on them and flesh had come upon them and skin had covered them but there was no breath in them and so I want you to picture the scene in your own mind as Ezekiel obeys the Lord and Ezekiel starts to prophesy all of a sudden there's a rattling among the bones in the valley and all of a sudden the bones, thousands of them, become, uh, start to reconnect with one another, bone to bone. It was like the foot bone was connected to the leg bone, and the leg bone was connected to the knee bone, and the knee bone was connected to the, I'll point to it so you guys know, thigh bone, right? And they all started doing the valley dance. No, no, that, that part's not in the Bible. What actually happened was Ezekiel, right? The bones come together and Ezekiel sees connective tissue forming on the bones. And then he sees miraculously muscles, flesh, right? Added to that. And then he sees skin. Ladies and gentlemen, what a vision. And now he sees a whole valley filled with people, mind you, on their backs with no breath in them. Look at verse nine. And then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Okay, you guys, if you're listening, say amen here. Amen. The first thing he did was prophesy to the bones. This is important for later. Then he prophesied to the breath. 
He says in verse nine, God said to him, prophesy to the breath, prophesy son of man and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me and the breath came into them and they lived and stood on their feet an exceedingly great army. I want everybody to know that Ezekiel prophesied twice. What does that mean? Well, to me, that, that means that it reveals that there's two stages to this vision. And so first, he prophesies to the bones, and they came together. And then later, he prophesies to the breath, and the breath comes into the people. And after they received the breath, they stood up like an exceedingly great army. Okay, so there's the vision. What does it all mean? Well, good news, God didn't leave us in the dark. God himself gives us the interpretation. Look at verse 11. If you're looking at Ezekiel 37, 11, say amen. Okay, check it out. Then God said to me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of what? Israel. Israel. I just wanna make sure everybody's got various versions of the Bible, right? Does everybody's version say Israel? Yes or no? Yes. Okay, so everybody please look at me. Please don't try to find a deeper meaning in the text. Don't say, oh, the whole house of Israel there actually means the church. It's not what it says. Ladies and gentlemen, I gotta remind you of something. When it comes to interpreting the Bible, listen to this, when the plain sense makes good sense, seek no other sense unless you get nonsense, okay? Just let the Bible say what the Bible means. And again, if we would just consistently use the historical grammatical, otherwise known as literal method of interpretation, then we would see that Israel here is Israel. It's Israel. And, and I wanna remind everybody who's a group leader or a class leader, we're getting ready to kick off our discipleship environments in February. I'm super, super excited about that, right? But I wanna encourage all of you leaders um, when, when you're sitting in your living room or wherever you are in a circle, please, leaders, don't go around the room after you've read a verse or a passage in the Bible and say, so Mary, um, what, what does this um, mean to you? What do you think this is saying? And, and John, what is your interpretation of that? And, 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 and Joe, what do you think it means? No. 10,000 times, No. Ladies and gentlemen, basic hermeneutical principle or interpretation of the Bible principle, and that is this. There is one interpretation, one, but there's many applications. So we don't get to go around the room and, and just say what we think the Bible says. We don't have that luxury. God says what he means. There's one interpretation for every passage in the Bible. Now, listen, I'm talking, if, if, if it's a tertiary issue, right, of course we can get some of these um, not so essential or not important, uh, not, not very important matters compared to others. We can get some of that wrong. Okay, I'm not saying we're gonna be perfect, but, but ladies and gentlemen, please, 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 there's one 
interpretation, many applications. And so instead of going around the room to find out what everybody's interpretation is, do your homework, find out what the interpretation is, share it, and then go around and ask, how do you apply this to your life? That's the proper way to do it. That way, God's the boss and not us. Did you guys hear that? That way, listen to this, God is the boss, his word is the boss, and we are not. So important. So what does all this mean? Here's the interpretation. Verse 11, God says to Ezekiel, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel, and you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will put my spirit within you you see how he's reiterating what we just read in Ezekiel 36? I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land. Land means land. I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will. I will do it, declares the Lord. All right, so what in the world does all this mean? Well, we always get by with a little help from our friends, and one of my uh, friends that I'm looking forward to meeting someday in heaven is Charles Haddon Spurgeon. And so Spurgeon said this, we'll put it up on the screen, talking about what is the interpretation of the Valley of Dry Bones. He said, the meaning of our text, as opened up by the context, is most evidently, if words mean anything, first, that there shall be a political restoration. Can you guys please say political a political restoration of the Jews to their own land and to their own nationality. And then Spurgeon went on to say, next screen, and then secondly, there is in the text and in the context a most plain declaration that there shall be a, what kind of restoration? Spiritual. So first political, then spiritual restoration, a conversion, in fact, of the, I like how he phrases this, tribes of Israel. Charles Haddon Spurgeon said that in 1884. So if you know your history, you know that's a big deal because this is before Israel became a nation in 1948. And so according to Spurgeon, there would be a political restoration of the Jews to their land, and then there would be a spiritual restoration of Israel. You say, Pastor, why do you get so excited about this stuff? Here's why. It's because... We, in modern times, humanity has witnessed the political restoration of Israel. And if you're born again, you will experience and see the spiritual restoration in the future. Dr. Arnold Fruchtenbaum, that's a mouthful, we'll just call him Dr. A. He's a Messianic Jewish scholar, highly recommend him. So a Messianic Jewish scholar he would agree with Spurgeon. He said this, quote, the prophet spoke of two international returns. 
First, there was to be a regathering in unbelief in preparation for judgment, namely the judgment of the tribulation. Then he went on to say this, quote, this was to be followed by a second worldwide regathering in faith in preparation for blessing, namely the blessing of the messianic age. Once it is recognized that the Bible speaks of two such gatherings, it is easy to see how the present state of Israel fits into prophecy. Again, first Ezekiel prophesied to the bones, political restoration. Then he prophesied to the breath, spiritual restoration. And so according to Dr. A, there's gonna be a gathering in unbelief, which humanity, Christians, we have seen in modern times. And then there's going to be a second global regathering in faith. That's going to happen right before the messianic age. It's exciting. Now, again, I'm going deeper than I usually do. But ladies and gentlemen, I don't want us at Calvary to check our brains at the door when we come to church. I don't want everybody to think, man, I just wanted to keep it light. You know, just, just teach me the easy stuff. No, no, no. Part of being a disciple means to be a learner of God's word. And I want you guys to get this. I want you guys to know this. And I want you to be excited about the future. And some of you are still a little foggy, so I want to make it as clear as possible, okay? So here is a key that will open the door so you can understand the um, Valley of Dry Bones vision. We'll put it on the next screen. The Valley of Dry Bones. Ladies and gentlemen, the dry bones is the whole house of Israel. I know I'm beating a dead horse here, but it's not the church. And I'm not referring you got to you guys as dead horses, by the way. All right. The dry bones are the whole house of Israel. The graves talks about the loss of their identity as a nation. Can I just throw this in real quick? Okay. Using the historical grammatical method of interpretation, otherwise known as a literal interpretation of God's word. Of course we see there's symbols in the Bible. Of course, we see there's metaphors in the Bible. Of course, we see there's parables in the Bible. Of course, we gotta understand what is the literary genre that we're reading right now. We take all of that into account, but we still use the historical, grammatical, literal method of interpretation because behind every symbol and metaphor and parable, there is a literal truth that God wants to communicate to us. Okay, and so in the context, the graves here speaks of the loss of their identity as a nation. The bones and sinews and flesh and skin, that speaks to the restoration of the nation of Israel and the breath, praise God, is the Holy Spirit regenerating them at the second coming of Jesus Christ. If you're still wondering, what does this have to do with anything that's going on in the world today, I would say everything. Ever since the second half of the 19th century all the way until today humanity has been witnessing the joining of the bones and the sinews and the flesh and the skin um, dr ed heinson who by the way was here i think four years ago and did an end time series um, i had a wonderful time at dinner uh, pastor matt messiano and our wives uh, took out dr heinson and his wife just a humble godly guy we had a wonderful time he's now in heaven uh, with the Lord, 
uh, but he wrote a lot of books with, uh, and, and some of them were with um, Tim LaHaye from the co-author of the Left Behind series. They have a book that is called Exploring Bible Prophecy. And in that book, um, uh, Dr. LaHaye and Ed Heinsohn said this, the reestablishment of the modern state of Israel seems to be part of the process of fulfillment of the political revival of the nation. They went on to say this, the secular return of Jewish immigrants under the Zionist movement. I know that's a loaded term. I'll define it for you in a moment. Under the Zionist movement in the late 19th and early 20th centuries and the eventual creation of the independent state of Israel in 1948 is significant in this regard. Now, I just want to encourage everybody here in our church family, and, and you guys can tell your friends and let the chips fall, but, but, but listen, there is so much misinformation in the world today. So, much, so many false statements in social media. So much misinformation on all these social media outlets. So you got to fact check everything. Ladies and gentlemen, if you listen to the wrong thing on TikTok, for example, you're going to think that Zionism is racism or wherever, whatever social media outlet where that is allowed to be said. And I believe in freedom of speech, but let's fact check everything. Zionism is not racism. What is Zionism? Well, pre-1948, Zionism just refers to the establishment of a nation for the Jewish people. What's wrong with that? And then after 1948, Zionism simply refers to the development of that nation for the protection of the Jewish people. What is wrong with that? And so the regathering of the Jews to their ancient homeland, it began in earnest, second half of the 19th century, and it has continued to this day. It's called Aliyah, Aliyah. It's a Hebrew term, it simply means ascent. When you're reading in the Bible, whenever you see people are going to Jerusalem, you notice this, they're always going up to Jerusalem. Even if they're heading south from Galilee and Samaria, and going through Judea down into Jerusalem, actually, actually the Bible says they're going up, if they're, even if they're going south, why? Because you're always going up, you're making a, an, an ascent to Zion, the city of our God, which is Jerusalem. And so, sadly, now, you gotta hear this part because I'm trying to help you with all the craziness that's being communicated in the world about Israel. I want you to actually understand the accurate history that is behind all the craziness. Okay, so, so please, if you're listening, say amen here. All right, much of the immigration, the Jewish immigration back to their ancient homeland, much of that is because of anti-Semitism. Because of the horrible anti-Semitism where historically the, the, the Jews have lived. These places are filled with people who have hated the Jews. In other words, oftentimes it was, there was no choice but for mom and dad to pack up the kids and go uh, to their ancient homeland. By the way, regarding anti-Semitism, I just want everybody to know it's not just 
radical Muslims in the Middle East who hate the Jews. Anti-Semitism is a plague that right now is spreading like wildfire all across the entire world. And as the evangelical church, we have to stand against it. We have to stand against it. We cannot let it in at all. Anti-Semitism in history. Man, do you guys, are you guys familiar with the pogroms in Europe? P-O-G-R-O-M. You should learn that term. Because historically, the anti-Semitism in the places where the Jews have lived and the pogroms against them, people attacking physically, violently the Jews, because of that, anti-Semitism. And I would add, because of recently the anti-Semitism on our own college campuses here in the United States of America, because of that, which by the way, it's just astounding to me how we have been sleeping while the anti-Semitism has been um, infiltrating our own college campuses. And what's happening is you have not all kids because a lot of kids are smart and they fact check, but you got a, a lot of other kids and they're still smart, but, but here, here's the problem. They're reading things, they're reading misinformation and they're getting emotional about it. And then they're saying things like, uh, from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. Ladies and gentlemen, every time somebody says that, what they're calling for is the genocide of the Jewish people. It's anti-Semitism, and we should not allow it anywhere in the evangelical church. So because of all the anti-Semitism, it's no wonder that tens of thousands of Jews in history have wanted their own nation for their own safety. And so for the last 150 years or so, we as humanity have watched, listen, the reconnecting of the bones in Ezekiel's prophecy. Joining together in Israel. According to the ministry of Aliyah and integration there in Israel, next slide please. From 1982 to 1903, 25,000 Jews, they immigrated to Palestine from Russia and Romania. 1904 to 1914, 35,000 Jews immigrated to Palestine from Russia and Poland. Now you gotta hear this, again, understand accurate history so you can make sense of all the craziness. In 1917, World War I is winding down. The Allies are winning the war. Brit the British part of the Allies. And in 1917, the British government voiced their support for the Jews. And in, in what's known as the Balfour Declaration. In that statement, it says, quote, his I was gonna do this in an English accent, but I won't embarrass myself. His Majesty's government views with favor the establishment in Palestine of a national home for the Jewish people. You say, well, what's the big deal? One country says that. Well, here's the big deal. As a result of the peace treaties, which ended World War I, the British were given control of Palestine. They won the war, peace treaties were drawn, 
The British get control of Palestine from 1918 to 1948. It's called the British Mandate. And during that time, the bones kept coming together. And so what we see again, next slide, from 1919 to 1923, 35,000 Jews immigrated to Palestine from Russia, Poland, Lithuania, and Romania. Again, lots of anti-Semitism in Europe, lots of pogroms. 1924 to 1928, 67,000 Jews immigrate to Palestine from the same nations. And then if you know your history, you know why this number is so big. From 1929 to 1939, over 250,000 Jews immigrated to Palestine from across Europe. Now, after World War II, and after the nightmare of the Holocaust, which, this is, just drives me crazy. Did you know there's millions of people around the world that deny the Holocaust? Do we, do we even care about truth? Or do we care so much about our agenda that we're willing to keep our agenda propped up with lies? Ladies and gentlemen, the Holocaust happened. Young people who may have heard Holocaust, but what does that mean? The Holocaust was the systematic murder of six million Jews by Nazi Germany. And it really happened in history. It's the worst case of anti-Semitism, arguably, in the entire history of the Jewish race. Please come to me with is to Israel. We canceled March's trip. You guys know why. We're scheduled to go in 2025. Hopefully everything is legit and calm down over there. But every time I make sure on the itinerary we spend a half a day in the Yad Vashem Holocaust Museum. And I stand outside of that memorial place with our group from Calvary and I share with them the anti-Semitism from the church and how Christians and I understand there's a lot of cultural Christians who've hated the Jews in the past I understand there's a lot of quote unquote Christians in the Crusades right who did all the horrible things that they did but, but, but listen there are some evangelical Christians born again Christians Christians from other denominations that actually know the Lord who have been perpetrators of anti-Semitism. And I make sure that our group is fully aware of that so we don't keep doing the same thing. Okay? That's very, very important. And so the Holocaust, systematic murder of six million Jews... And even though that was a nightmare, something beautiful came out of the nightmare. Something beautiful came out of all the heartache. And that leads you to your next slide. We're now going to talk about Israel's statehood. So again, please get the accurate history so you can make sense of all the craziness that we're experiencing today. In 1947, the United Nations passed a resolution. I think it's Resolution 181. But the United Nations passed a resolution and they called for Palestine to be partitioned between the Jews and the Arabs. The UN, newly formed UN, 
made that resolution, and it passed. Yesterday, uh, Pastor, um, Pastor uh, Eve's, um, Eve's prophet, he came to me with, he's got a beautiful smile from here to here, and he was so happy because he said, look, uh, he, sh- he showed me a-, a link where Haiti cast a vote for Israel uh, during that time in 1947. He was so proud of that, and that was cool. But in 1947, the United Nations passed a resolution calling for Palestine to be partitioned between the Arabs and the Jews. Do you guys know how the Jews responded? They accepted the plan. They're like, great. Do you guys know how the Arab nations in the Middle East responded to that UN resolution that passed? You know how they responded? They rejected it, and they vowed war. And since the UN resolution was not revoked from 1947 to 1948, does everybody remember how I talked about the British mandate? 1918 to what, what year? 1948. And so in 1947, UN resolution partitioned the land of Palestine between the Jews and the Arabs. One year later, 1948, that resolution was not revoked. So in 1948, British mandate's over. The British army left. And so what does Israel's first prime minister David Ben-Gurion do? He declares Israel a sovereign nation. Ladies and gentlemen, that date is a date that will go down in infamy because God made that happen. May 14, 1948, Israel once again becomes a sovereign nation. Many, yeah, we should clap for that one. Do you know why God is, is reassembling the Jews? Because he's a promise keeper, not a promise breaker. He loves them. He wants to save them. And so many nations around the world, including the U.S., supported this declaration. Our own president at the time, Harry S. Truman, said, quote, The United States recognizes the provisional government as the de facto authority of the new state of Israel. But guess what happened historically? Soon after David Ben-Gurion announced Israel's sovereignty as a nation, I think it was the next day, but soon after, Israel was attacked. Ladies and gentlemen, please get your history correct. Israel did not attack anybody. They were attacked by five Arab nations. They were attacked by Egypt, Syria, Transjordan, Lebanon, and Iraq. The secretary of the Arab League, Azam Pasha, said, quote, it will be a war of annihilation. It will be a momentous massacre in history. But God had other plans. Because against all odds, even though it was five nations against one newly birthed nation, in just 15 months, Israel won their war of independence. Praise God for that. So they've only been a nation for 76 years. And so Israel now, in their short 76-year history, has had to defend itself again and again. I don't have time to talk about the Six-Day War, but in 1967, the Six-Day War, they won that. 1973, Yom Kippur War, they defended themselves, won that. From 2006 to the present, their skirmishes and battles with Hamas, which don't let anybody deceive you, Hamas is a terrorist organization that the Palestinians in Gaza voted into power. In other words, the IDF, Israeli Defense Forces left the Gaza Strip 
And then they had elections in 2006, and the people voted for a terrorist organization to be their government. And from 2001 to the present, there hasn't been a single year where rockets have not been fired from Gaza into Israel, trying to kill innocent civilians. Ladies and gentlemen, we thank God for the Iron Dome. And I thank God the United States of America has been standing with Israel. Now, let me just say something. They're, they have been defending themselves. Did you, did you guys know there's nothing wrong with a nation defending itself? What would happen if Mexico began to fire rockets into Texas? I don't even want to think about what those Texans would do. <laughs> and nobody would say a word. And by the way, the IDF has one of the highest, if not the highest, moral codes when it comes to war. Now, there's so much I want to say. But listen, as Christians, we're not pacifists. You guys know that, right? There's such a thing called a just war. And if you're being attacked by another nation, the government's main responsibility is to protect its citizens have to now guys what would happen if tonight at 2.30 a.m. somebody kicks down your door and you have a wife and kids in your house I hope you are prepared to defend your family otherwise your wife could be raped and your kids could be abducted or killed and there's, there's nothing wrong with defending yourself or your family. Somebody says, well, what about turn the other cheek? Well, here's what you need to know. In the context, Jesus said turn the other cheek. He was talking about personal insults and he was talking about being persecuted as a Christian. If somebody is beating you down, you don't turn the other cheek. You have to defend yourself. And if somebody's especially attacking your family, you got to defend yourself. Why do you think God made this? I mean, honestly. Right? That's why God made this. And we don't, we don't use it to go on the offensive and hurt people, but we have to use it to defend our loved ones. This is just common sense. But our culture today has lost common sense. Now, we all know what happened on October 7, 2023. Hamas viciously attacked southern settlements in Israel, and over 1,200 people were brutally murdered. Some say the number's higher. Did you know most of those 1,200 people were citizens? Women, children, elderly were among those who were brutally murdered. What Hamas did to some of those children is unspeakable, and any attempt to justify any of it is reprehensible. We gotta speak out, because obviously lies are being perpetrated upon the world, and everybody's believing lies, so we gotta speak out. Over 240 hostages were abducted. The last I heard, 129 still remain in Gaza, and some of them are Americans. And what some of the released hostages are reporting, some of them, uh, many of them have said, have said, we were deprived of food and water. Some of them have said we were abused, 
We were tortured and we were sexually violated. Those are war crimes. And people are chanting in America, from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free? Have we gone crazy? And so I want to encourage you guys as Christians, pray for the hostages. Don't forget about them. Pray that they'll be released and unharmed. Pray for their loved ones. I can't imagine their pain. And can you imagine the pain of a loved one watching on TV when somebody goes and there's a picture of a hostage in Gaza and they rip it down? What does that do to the loved ones? For that, who, who, that's, that's their son. That's their daughter. Okay, and so pray for the Palestinian Christians as well in Gaza. Pray for any Palestinians who don't want war and they're living in fear of Hamas, but they know that if they get out of line, they're, they're, they're done. And so I want to reiterate this again. Because Israel was attacked, they did what any nation in the world would do. They declared war, not against the Palestinians. They declared war against Hamas. And what the world needs to understand is that Israel has a God-given responsibility to protect their citizens. Ladies and gentlemen, historically, the Jews have always desired peace. But peace has always evaded them. Why? Because their enemies want to annihilate them. And so what does it all boil down to? You can call me a simpleton, but I agree with the current prime minister of Israel, Benjamin Netanyahu, in our next slide. This is what it all boils down to. If the Arabs put down their weapons today, there would be no more violence. If the Jews put down their weapons today, there would be no more Israel. And so America should stand with Israel. And we should never forget the, um, the, the declaration of God, the promise of God, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And so earlier I said that anti-Semitism is a plague that has spread across the world. According to biblical prophecy, by and large, ladies and gentlemen, it's going to get worse and worse until God comes back. Right before that happens, at the second coming, there's going to be a seven-year period called the tribulation. That leads us to our next slide and the last point, which again, I, I'm out of time, so I'm just going to touch on this and we'll finish the tribulation next weekend before the second coming, but... The trouble there, Israel's trouble, refers to as Jeremiah 30, verse 7. It's a time of Jacob's trouble. Jacob is synonymous with Israel. Again, I know I keep saying this. It's not a time of the church's trouble. It's a time of Israel's trouble. So what is the tribulation? Uh, definition of the tribulation, next screen please, is Israel's 70th week. And so I'm going to talk about the 70-week prophecy of Daniel. It's a seven-year period in the future. It's a period when divine judgment is going to come upon all humanity, described in Revelation 6 through 19. This period will culminate in the second coming of Christ, and it's going to result in, praise the Lord, Israel's national regeneration. The breath is going to come in to them. It's going to be, sadly, a horrible time of suffering and death, the likes of which the world has never seen. So I believe with all my heart, I hope I convinced some of you last week, but I believe with all my heart that Jesus is going to come back for his bride first because we're not appointed unto wrath. Wrath is poured out on the world. But then after that, what's going to happen is the Antichrist, sometime after that, is going to sign a Middle East peace treaty, Daniel 9, 27, more on that next week, and then... More and more global chaos is going to ensue. Jesus described it like this. 
Jesus said, for nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines, pestilences, earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of what? Sorrows. The word sorrows there refers to birth pains that a mom experiences when she's in labor. So you moms know this. When you're going through labor, what happens in regards to your contractions? They become stronger, they become stronger and stronger and closer and closer together during your labor. And that's exactly what's gonna happen during the tribulation. Things, the Bible says, are gonna go from bad to worse, but here's the good news. Just as a mom has to endure the anguish of labor, but after she endures that, she welcomes in this beautiful baby into the world. In the same way, listen, Israel has got to go, you say, why? Because God loves them, he's getting their attention. He wants to save them. And so they have to go through this time of tribulation. They have to go through the anguish of this labor. But here's the wonderful news. And, and just, I know some of you guys want to applause, but, but just hold it here because I want to join you. But, but at the end of that labor, the labor pains, right? These cataclysmic events coming down on the world, stronger and stronger, closer and closer together. Guess what? After Israel endures the anguish of her labor pains, she will welcome her Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, wait, wait, wait. And when he comes back, I'm gonna join you. And when he comes back, he is not coming back as a little baby. He's coming back as a mighty warrior. King of kings, Lord of lords, now I will clap with you. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Can these bones live? Yep. And they will live. Because God is a promise keeper, not a promise breaker. And by the way, he's promised you as the church a lot of things. I hope you know his promises. And I hope you're standing on them with confident faith. Love you guys. Pastor Andrew, come on out.